it seems like in the readings for this week, we have another set of readings focused on the importance of poor and you know, attending to their, to their needs. And that's certainly a, a lesson that could be pulled out, uh, particularly from the gospel. But I actually want to talk about something else, another theme that I think runs through our readings this week. And that is acedia, also known as sloth. As St. Thomas Aquinas says, it's the fourth of the seven deadly sins or the capital sins. And acedia at its root, in terms of the, the concrete meaning of, of the word from, from the Greek, is not bearing the dead, which was considered the most basic religious obligation that people had. And so to neglect that most basic duty meant you were you know, really, really kind of a, a wretch, you know, had not been doing what you were supposed to do. So when we look at the gospel, I think there is in the rich man's story, I think a lot more evidence of acedia or sloth than there is of greed. Because it's not like the, the story in the gospel of the rich young man who says, you know, I kept the commandments, what do I have to do for eternal life? Sell all your goods and follow me. Uh, and he goes away sad. Um, it, it's not just about accumulating wealth because, you know, as the text says, he could have fed Lazarus with the scraps from his table. He wouldn't have missed them. So it's not, it doesn't seem to be really greed at the heart of what's going on with the rich man here. Rather, he just seems to be immersed in his own world of power and of pleasure and just doesn't seem to notice the man at his gates. And we know it's about power and pleasure because it says, one, he was wearing purple, which is a sign of royal authority. And secondly, it says he dined each day sumptuously. So it's not like every once in a while he had a banquet and like he threw a big birthday party or a wedding or you know Christmas or whatever. Uh, I don't think he would have celebrated Christmas, but anyway. Um, <laughs> still, it's not like there's a reason for a party. It's just the way he lives, you know, to be immersed in this in this pleasure. And I think that that kind of that there's a complacency about that, that sort of non-attentiveness to to basic spiritual obligations, which would have been which are very much in the, in the prophets and the Hebrew scriptures. And that's the thing that comes through in our first reading today from the prophet Amos. What is, what's the warning? Woe to the complacent in Zion. Woe to the complacent. Lying on beds of ivory, stretched comfortably on couches, eating lambs from the flock and calves from the stall, improvising music, drinking wine from bowls, and anointing themselves. It's just sort of immersed in, the, in themselves and not in, even in their own salvation, just in sort of very surface level care of their selves. So what's the root of this acedia, this neglect of others? It's interesting because one of the things that, you know, people who study happiness have, have found is that actually doing good things for other people is something that can make you happy. It's actually a great way to spend money. If you want to, if you want to buy happiness, do something nice for others with your money that's been shown to, to really help increase people's happiness. So why not do that? What's, what's at the root of this acedia? St. Thomas Aquinas has this really great analysis of acedia, and he says it goes right directly to the heart of what it means to be happy and where, where we find our happiness from. And in Thomas's vision, 
of things, the Christian vision, you know, it's, it's God that's our ultimate happiness. But, but Aquinas distinguishes, he says there's two parts to that. So if you think of happiness from, from drinking a glass of cold water on a hot day, your happiness is the cold water, that's the thing giving you happiness, but there's also the act of drinking. So it's those two things together. It's, you, you can't enjoy the glass of ice water unless you are in the act of drinking. So it's these two things together. There's the, the thing that gives us happiness and the act of participating in it. And he says what acedia does, the reason it's so terrible, is that it, it strikes at the joy that should be the result from union with God, from being in his presence, from loving him. And acedia takes away that joy. It attacks that joy. Now here's the thing. Feelings aren't sins. So, so for acedia to be an actual vice, it can't just be a feeling that we have, that we're not enjoying God sufficiently. It means we have to be acting on that lack of joy. We have to let that feeling dictate our actions. You know, so the rich man doesn't feel good helping the poor. So he doesn't. You know, why would he bother? And that's, that's at the heart of Asidi. He's just worried about the things that, that will try to, to, try to make him happy, but won't. You know, the power, the dining sumptuously, all that sort of thing. And so we're, we're confronted with this Asidi, which makes the encounter with God something unhappy. And it makes the act, acts of charity, acts of love towards God, also tedious and unhappy and sorrowful. And that's the weird thing, that we can, in fact, be encountering God in prayer, good prayer, real prayer, contemplative prayer, and yet not be happy about it. And that sounds like that shouldn't happen, but it does. And it sounds like we shouldn't be that screwed up, but we are. <laughs> and that's just the reality of life in the land of original sin, which is earth. That that is just what happens. The one thing that can actually make us happy makes us unhappy. And that's the result of sin in us. And so what a CDO looks like, as you can think of things that make you sad, well, what do you do with things that make you sad? Well, first of all, you try and flee from them. You, you might struggle against them. Um, you know, you might just try and avoid them as much as possible. Um, at its worst, a CDO is despair, this sort of giving up totally on the pursuit of God. This feeling that we'll never make it, never be happy. Or I should say the choice. It's not a feeling, it's a choice. So that's one, one sort of the worst manifestation of acedia. Acedia kills our joy and we give in to that death of joy. We go along with it. But it can mean other things too. You know, Thomas says that in addition to fleeing what makes us sad, we also try to find compensations. For the rich man, dining sumptuously would be his example. Every day, you know, he's just immersed in that. And it doesn't, ultimately doesn't, doesn't work. So what's the remedy? What's the remedy? And I think we can talk about this in, in two ways. So first of all, St. Thomas says the ultimate remedy for acedia, for this sadness at the divine good, is the incarnation is the Son of God becoming poor, 
and dying and rising from the dead. And he says that's the definitive remedy for the sadness of acedia, because there's a part of acedia, part of what tax to joy is the, the idea that we'll never be able to make it. We'll never be happy. Sort of like you know when the Dementors come in, in Harry Potter. We'll never be cheerful again. You know? And that's really, it's a great image. It's, it's, it's a great image of acedia. But in the spiritual life, we'll never be cheerful again. It seems to take away our joy. And so the incarnation then is, St. Thomas says, is the remedy for that. Because in Jesus Christ, we have the real union of God and man. That we know it's possible because it's happened. And that's the first part of the remedy. And he says, the other thing that's helpful about the incarnation is that, you know, when we don't find joy in something, we don't want to do it. But what makes us want to love something? What makes us want to love God? Well, it's knowing that God loves us. And so even if we don't feel joy, the incarnation tells us that this is how much God loves us. And that can motivate us to love God in return, even if in the moment we're not feeling it. And we don't feel joy from it. We can still do it. And a final, a final sort of part of this on, on our own end. You know, God, God's remedy for acedia is the incarnation. But for ourselves, what is it that we do? In a sense, it's just to keep going, to remain faithful to prayer, to remain faithful to good works of mercy, to keep going, to keep trying to be faithful. That's what St. Paul is talking about in the second reading. He says, but you, man of God, Pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Compete well for the faith and lay hold of eternal life. Compete well for the faith. In a way, it makes me think of an experience I had yesterday, which was I witnessed for the first time the poll here at Hope College. And uh, it it was something. and honestly, it was, it was actually very impressive. I, I, was, I was really kind of taken by, by the effort and, and the work and the determination of um, both teams, um, particularly odd year, um, not just because they won, because they had no substitutes. There's no break. There's no break. You just keep going. And it, w- it was really sort of interesting to, to see the two teams. And again, like, it, it was a great thing. I'm, I'm smart enough that, like, how would I put this? I think when I was your age, I wouldn't have done it, and that would be stupid. And at my age, I won't do it because I've gotten a little smarter, and I'm too decrepit. Um, <laughs> so, but it was interesting just to see this sort of contest of, of wills and, and both sides working. And you know, it was interesting. There is definitely personality difference between the two sides. There's there's even year, you know, and they have this chant, you know, uh, the rope's on fire, the rope's on fire. We don't need no water, let the odd year burn, you know? But they're kind of like smiling and sort of giggling while they're doing it. It's like they're having a good time, you know, joyful warriors. And then you go to the odd year side, and it's like, <laughs> blood makes the grass grow, kill, kill, kill. <laughs> and they looked like they meant it. <laughs> it's kind of frightening in all honesty. Um, but, but the thing is, you know, when, when we... So often when we think of the spiritual life, we think of it, it should look like the even year side. 
yeah, it's work, but you get a break every once in a while, and you're smiling, and everything's, you know, it's happy, and, you know, hey, we're going to do this, yeah. But sometimes it looks like the oddier side. It just looks like death. <laughs> and you just have to keep going, knowing that you're not going to get a break until it's done. And I think that's an important an important picture sometimes of what it means to struggle against acedia, but I would add actually to the image. So if you want to know what the struggle against acedia is really like, and, and, and this is you know, why for, for the desert fathers, the early monks of the church, when they had their outline of the vices, the demons that had to be overcome as you spend more time in the desert wrestling with your vices and with your own soul, acedia is the last of the vices to be conquered. It's the worst. And they say, after you conquer Acedia, there are no more demons. And that be, that's because not only is there this sort of, the, the struggle of the spiritual life in general. And so if you can imagine, you know, being in, in the pit and the, and the strain of that. But it's even harder. Because it's not just being in the pit and struggling and working hard. It's being in there when you've lost the joy of the contest. It's being there when you've lost the desire to win. It's being there when you don't feel refreshed by the water that you're given. It's being there when everything the moraler is telling you doesn't make you any happier. And that's the terrible picture of acedia. That's the struggle of it. And it's also the thing in the struggling against it that purifies our love and makes it perfect. Because Christ does not suffer and struggle for his own joy. As God, he is already happiness itself. He struggles and he suffers simply out of love for others. And so it's in imitating that love that our love becomes really perfect. So I'm going to leave you with this quote from, from C.S. Lewis in his book, Screwtape Letters. It's these letters between these two demons talking about temptation. And the senior, wiser tempter says to the junior one, Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe in which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks why he's been forsaken and still obeys.